This is the Impact Report. I'm your host, Katie Elman. The Impact Report brings together students and faculty in Bard College's MBA in Sustainability program with leaders in business, sustainability, finance, social entrepreneurship, and more. These conversations go live the first and third Friday of each month. This week, Bard MBA's Hannah Hintz speaks with Lisa Edwards, Executive Chair of Diligent Institute. Lisa. Uh, Lisa Edwards is the Executive Chair of Diligent Institute, the modern governance think tank and global research arm of Diligent Corporation. In her role, Lisa is responsible for expanding the Institute's position as the leading authority on governance, risk, compliance, audit, and ESG trends and insights. Lisa previously served as President and Chief Operating Officer of Diligent Corporation, where she was responsible for commercial growth and performance, including global sales, marketing, customer success, services, partnerships, and 24-7, 365 worldwide support. Welcome to the Impact Report, Lisa. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. I can't wait to jump in and learn more as I'm on my own journey, uh, shifting my career to uh, more impact in ESG. So I'm going to jump right in and ask you to tell me more about the mission of Diligent Institute and how it's different from or complements Diligent Corporation. Sure. It is independent of, of Diligent Corporation, but funded and supported by Diligent, I would say. So uh, what it is, is a global think tank for governance-related issues. Uh, we get into all of the issues of the board, whether that's enterprise risk management or um, DEI&I or ESG. Um, and we do a series of original research, sometimes with partners like Spencer Stewart or corporate boards. And, um, you know, we have a lot of access to primary information. So every year we, uh, we mine 3,000, the Russell 3,000, so 3,000 proxies in the United States and another 2,000 internationally. And what that gives us is real data on things like diversity on boards, shareholder initiatives, uh, voting for those initiatives, um, activism, um, uh, pay and pay for performance, uh, pay as it relates to tying back to ESG related matters. So we get a lot of data in and ultimately we are um, in four different pillars and those sort of represent the different areas that we focus in. So the first is inform, that's the publishing of some of that primary data. The second is connect. So we have a series of what we call diligent forums for uh, corporate board members to come together to share ideas and information, get informed by experts, and um, sort of use that peer-to-peer -peer sharing uh, network. We have Celebrate, so we do something in combination with Fortune Magazine to celebrate the top 25 boards on uh, that are in modern leadership. So that tends to mean uh, forward-thinking boards on things like board composition. Um, and then uh, I'm, I'm missing one. Um, <laughs> oh, educate. So we have uh, a series of certifications for board directors to uh, just get up to speed on things like climate, ESG, or cybersecurity. 
Great. Thank you for all of that. I do want to dive in a bit more specifically on research, but first, since you just provided the overview of inform, connect, celebrate, and educate from Diligent Institute, uh, can you talk us through in a bit more detail some of those offerings outside of the primary research you mentioned? What types of certificates are involved in the program and perhaps how do you make the networks across uh, these boards stronger and more involved? Yeah, you know, I think one of the things that's become really interesting to me um, as a sitting board member, so I'm on the board of directors of Colgate Palmolive, and, you know, I think one of the things that becomes really obvious when you're a board member is, you know, you often have more in common than you have uh, separating you with other board members on, uh, even if it's a completely unrelated industry, if they are of a certain size, if they're a publicly traded company, they're going to be subject to some of the same rules and regulations, some of the, you know, things coming down from the SEC, uh, some of the same um, procedures, and there's a lot that you can learn from your fellow board members. So part of the Institute is really thinking through how do we do that in a comfortable way for board members to have Chatham House rules, have them come into a place that is a place where they can share information and data. Um, as it relates to the certifications that we do in the education, uh, we're going to be leaning in more there. There is, um, you know, there's a lot of untread territory. There's a lot of tread territory, and we don't necessarily want to rework the wheel. Um, but what we were trying to do with our climate certification, I had actually taken as a board member said, I need to get smarter on this stuff. I need to uh, really, you know, be able to ask the right questions in the boardroom, probe on the right things, make sure that we're um, kind of doing the, doing the right things as a company. And I didn't feel armed to do that, especially with the current regulatory environment with you know the SEC coming out with proposed regulations that were, I think, candidly, a lot, uh, a lot more rigorous than many of us had expected them to come down with, including, um, you know, including scope three and some of the reporting uh, as early as 2024, which means come January, you know, companies need to be able to uh, capture and report on that in certain circumstances. And so I was feeling like I needed to get more educated. I went out and looked for a couple of of these programs and didn't really find anything that I liked. I either found go to a graduate program and spend two years with your, you know, with your head down and come out the other end, or, um, you know, take a class that ended up being, you know, 15 hours, um, but was a little bit more of a check the box. And I didn't really walk away with, okay, I actually do feel informed and capable in this area. So I would say, you know, we tried to thread the needle with understanding that we're dealing with people whose time is very limited and who are very busy executives, sometimes sitting executives, as well as board members, how do we get them what they need to know in the most efficient, effective way, um, but that is comprehensive and, and frankly difficult enough um, that sort of merits their time and their leaning in there. So that's really what we did. We did, um, first we did climate. Uh, we got an incredibly positive response out of that. So we did one on ESG that includes some climate things, but also gets into other things around diversity and, um, you know, sort of broader than just climate related 
related issues. Um, and then we uh, are, are announcing, uh, I, I'll give it away because it won't be too much of a lag. Uh, our cybersecurity effort um, is underway now and we'll be, uh, we'll be opening that up shortly. But you know, I anticipate doing things that where we think there's a need for directors to become informed uh, where either they are, you know, from a regulatory perspective, need to become informed because the SEC has said you need to have someone on your board who understands cybersecurity, or you need to have someone on your board who can speak to the issues of sustainability, uh, who understands the alphabet soup and can, um, you know, can can make sure that the company is moving in the right direction on those things. So those are sort of the areas that we tend to to look at when we think about those things. Yeah, wonderful. That was super helpful to understand everything that Diligent Institute does and certainly empowering to hear how uh, different board members can connect and share that knowledge. And so you saw the need and established this program, which does seem to be evolving and growing. I'm curious what participation has looked like both from a numbers standpoint and also uh, participation in in the program itself and has that grown rapidly uh have you seen a big change it has um you know we didn't really advertise it that much we kind of came out with it and said um you know it's here it's available um but we didn't it wasn't as if we made a you know a big splash about it and we had uh, we had an incredibly positive response to the point where we're actively updating the materials now because as you know um, this is a very dynamic space and uh, what is relevant yesterday is not necessarily relevant today or certainly not tomorrow and so um, so we've been going through all the materials and updating them again to make sure that they reflect all of the most current information uh, both on the the ESG program as well as on the uh, on the climate certification. Um, um, so, so the response has been a little bit overwhelming, to be honest, and um, I, you know, in a good way. Um, it's, it's, you know, we don't have a uh, necessarily a capacity limitation because we did it as an online self-serve course. So directors can come in, you know, as they need to, as they have a time. If you have an hour here or two hours there, um, come in and take it that way. And that seems to be the right format for this. You know, I think there is great value to live education and certainly in the room education, but that can be really hard to do with a group of people who are, um, you know, busy and flying around the world. And, um, and so, you know, coming to something that is engaging content, but uh, allows people to do it as they need it has been really a good solution for us there. Great. I think you've answered some elements of this, but wanted to ask how you feel diligence stands out in this increasingly crowded market. We all are talking about ESG more and more. And so you've mentioned evolving your content and the way in which you offer that. Um, but I'm curious what values you lead with and what you think diligent um, really has to offer uh, as a competitive advantage. Yeah, you know, I think, first of all, I don't really view it as competition. I think the more that people are talking about it, the better. Um, this is not a space where, um, you know, there's a lot of hand-to-hand -hand combat. I think um, where we come from is... Uh, the more that directors know about some of these issues, the better off that we will all be, that our companies will be, and ultimately that the planet will be. So I think that, um, you know, we do look for holes where we think there's a need and we try to fill those, but 
Um, you know, I think where we differentiate ourselves is we have sort of unique access to directors. So we have, you know, 25,000 companies around the world that use our products with 800,000 board members that are, you know, logging in and have us on their phone or their iPad. Um, so we have the audience and we have the eyeballs and we have the, um, you know, sort of the known um, name that they trust us um, and they trust us to bring them um, the right stuff that they, that they trust us to use their time efficiently and effectively. So I think that's really kind of it. Um, but I would say I have exactly no issue with um, you know any other programs out there. I think that again, the more that people are talking about it, the more that they're getting educated, um, the better off that um, you know that that we will all be. And it's an evolving subject. So you know ultimately we're looking at um, you know building empowered leaders and uh, and building great companies. And I think however however companies get there is great. We have a way to do that. But you know I'm not going to say that there aren't alternate paths, but I think we've tried to make it as time efficient and effective uh, for our directors. And I think, think we have a unique understanding of that cohort, uh, what they need, what they think, how they consume materials. And so that's how we've tried to come at it. Thank you. I love that answer and also why I feel so empowered in the space myself and truly uh, agree that collective action is the only way we're going to get there. So thank you. Uh, reporting seems to grow with significance every year. How have things changed since you started in this space? And maybe you can talk a little bit about, especially uh, in regards to ESG and board composition. I saw that you recently posted a reason to celebrate uh, women on boards uh, from the EU Parliament's uh, formal adoption of the new law on gender balance on corporate boards. So I'm curious, both uh, global changes that you've seen, but also how that's reflected on the U.S. stage. Yeah, you know, there's a couple of things that um, in that question. So, um, you know, ESG as a topic in the boardroom, and then there's diversity in the boardroom, which is, of course, a component of ESG and particularly the G in, in ESG. But um, so may maybe I'll start with uh, ESG in the boardroom. And, and what we're seeing really is a sea change there. So, um, you know, a, uh, a, a couple of years ago, pre-pandemic, um, they're only about 20% of respondents said that they almost, uh, they rarely or never discussed ESG in the boardroom. That number is down to 4% now. Um, and my question on that is always like, who are these 4%? How can you never be talking about ESG in the boardroom? It's, it's like literally almost impossible to, uh, to avoid. Um, and conversely to that, the, the percentage who said that they discuss ESG at every single meeting or nearly every meeting has doubled. And that's now at about 35%. So around a third of companies are talking about ESG related matters at every single board meeting, um, which is really astonishing if you think back to five years ago, it really was not a topic in the boardroom, or it was a topic peripherally. For example, it might have been um, in a manufacturing company, they might have talked about, you know, workforce um, uh, uh, fatalities or something like that. And it was like, okay, well, that's the, um, you know, care of our of our employees. And that's sort of related to the S. So yes, of course, we talk about it. But, um, but really, companies did not talk about what are we doing on climate? Have we filed CDP? Um, you know, do we know what we're doing? Uh, as it relates to our, you know, biodiversity. What about our water usage? What about our recyclability? Um, those are not things that, that companies talked about, much less some of the sort of COVID-related, I, I would call, um, issues around human capital management, um, workforce retention, um, uh, mental health, um, 
and things like that. So um, I think it's been, uh, you know, a, a real change. The other real change in the last couple of years is, of course, when Chairman Gensler came in in 2020, uh, he put uh, uh, climate change at the top of his regulatory agenda. So he actually put two things at the top of his regulatory agenda. One, we have seen the initial things on the other. We are, uh, you know, kind of waiting to see what happens. The first was climate, and it was specifically climate, uh, kind of in the Larry Fink climate, um, uh, you know, genre. It was climate as it relates to financial risk for companies and um, and for investors. And you know, I think the reason that that has become so important to boardrooms and, and to the SEC is, is all good reasons, which is a lot of companies have self-declared or self-reported and they've said, you know, I'm going to be net zero in 2030, or I'm going to be net zero in 2020, or I'm going to be, no, not 2020, in 2040, um, or, you know, I'm going to um, document my scope three emissions or whatever it is. Um, and I think where, um, you know, where the SEC plays a role is, um, um, how do we create a level, level playing field for investors and how do we help them compare one company to another? And it's very difficult to compare one company to another if they all have different baselines, if they're all doing different reporting, if they're all doing sort of self-declared like, yeah, I'm doing great. And so, um, so I think that that was sort of uh, you know, behind, if I could read the tea leaves, that's sort of what, what's behind some of the uh, proposed regulations from the SEC, which um, should be finalized. I just heard someone say last week, they think it'll be finalized uh, on Earth Day next week, because that'll be a year anniversary from when they uh, announced the first set. So, um, so we'll see what happens there. But certainly, there is more uh, regulatory attention to that. That's always going to get a board's attention, because if it becomes the same as signing off on a financial statement, to sign off on a sustainability report. There's a whole separate level of scrutiny that goes into that, including um, you know, having a third party audit those data um, and really making sure that you understand the provenance, who's touched it, where did it come from, um, do you trust it? Um, so you know, I think that there's a, a lot of um, a lot of movement there. Um, as it relates to uh, ESG in the boardroom, um, around diversity, we've also seen movement there. So uh, we now have in the high 20s in the United States in uh, percentage of women in the boardroom. You know, there's an interesting statistic that uh, a friend of mine on the McKinsey uh, uh, sort of data side came up with, and, you know, she was sort of laying out the uh, the evolution of of women as it relates to you know sort of how they show up in the boardroom and um, you know you start at around 50 50 of the population I, I would say you go back even further you start at 60 percent of women are graduating from college in the United States um, so at that level saying that we have a pipeline issue is just simply false um, there are more educated women uh, at the college level than than men at this point and that's kind of a global trend if you look around to, you know with some exceptions around the world depending on women access to education and things like that. But generally speaking, in the Western world, uh, women are going to college uh, and they're starting in the workplace at a, around 50% um, of white collar jobs. But by the time they get to the CEO of publicly traded companies, it's less than 10%. And so um, and we've been sort of chipping away at, at getting into the boardroom. So now it's um, 
you know, depending on how you cut the data, um, you know, kind of in the 25 to 27% range. That varies a lot from companies or countries like France. In France, it's 42%. And, for, and the reason for that is it's, uh, and 42 or 43, don't quote me on that one. Um, it might be, I might be a percent off. But um, but the, the French uh, instituted a law um, a number of years ago to say uh, boardrooms should be 40% women. Um, it has not degraded the quality of, uh, of the decisions in the boardroom, um, but it has increased the number of women in the boardroom. And so several company or se several countries in the in the EU followed. And then uh, recently the EU came out with their 40% rule. And California did something similar um, a couple of years ago. It was uh, it was struck down as uh, as, as uh, you know not a legitimate law. So uh, but in the time that it did that, uh, it actually did move the needle a little bit in terms of getting uh, women on boards in uh, Companies that were based in California. So, you know, I will I will leave for another day the whole debate on whether it should be a regulatory issue or whether it should simply be the right thing. You know, the way that I think about it is, um, you know, if you uh, if you have a boardroom that doesn't reflect what your employees look like or what your customer base looks like or what your supplier base looks like. Um, I know, can you really be sure that you're asking all the right questions and representing those, um, you know, those, those voices adequately in the boardroom? And I would suggest that the answer to that is no. And that's why you want to have uh, more diversity in the boardroom. But I do think we're making strides. The other thing that's um, that's come up in the last couple of years that's a little bit different is, um, uh, the the skill set is evolving. Um, so there's always going to be a role for having a, a former CEO in the boardroom. There's always going to be a role for having a, a former CFO on you know a publicly traded company heading up the audit committee. But you don't necessarily need five of those. Um, having folks with more recent operating experience, having um, having the you know Gen uh, you know Z uh, that has um, you know digital digital natives on the board, having um, uh, uh, you know it's just experience and things like sustainability, HR, and IT is becoming a more common skill set in the boardroom. And, and so I think we'll continue to see, and because the the, the people that represent some of those um, uh, skill sets, you know, look a little different than, uh, than some of the historical um, cohorts here. I think, I think that we will continue to see the diversity in the boardroom grow. And I think for all the right reasons, because boards are kind of open to bringing on people to um, have the right skill set and fill any gaps that they may have as it relates to, you know, sort of how they um, how they can address um, modern issues in the boardroom, which are not the same issues that there were 10 years ago. Yeah, and building on that, I did see from some of your research that more directors are also reporting that environmental goals and social targets are tied to their executive compensation. They are. You know, um, this has been an ongoing debate, and it's a little bit, I would say it's a little bit fuzzy still um, in the following way. A lot of the companies that do tie some sort of ESG related metric to executive comp, they tend to put that kind of in the, the other um, the bucket. So there's your hard goals around, you know, top line, bottom line, um, maybe organic growth or something like that. And then, um, and then there's sort of the um, the other stuff the you know, the KPI related things. And that's where ESG has tended to show up. 
Um, but it is showing up more and it is becoming something that uh, more boards are looking at and more companies are looking at. Um, so I think we will continue to see that trend. Um, I do think it will be continue to be, you know, on those metrics that are more easy to measure um, and monitor because, you know, when you get into compensation related issues, is it becomes very important to say, you know, does everyone trust the data? Does everyone understand the baseline? Does everyone understand the, the goals? And so, um, you know, it every time we inch slightly closer to some of those, you know, compensation related things, um, you know, it sort of pushes the needle a little bit more on, all right, let's, let's talk about what we're really talking about here and get very tactical on uh, what we're measuring, which I think can be very helpful. Great. So I want to uh, spend some time diving into the annual report, what directors think. So Diligent Institute releases this report, which surveys U.S. public company board members to take their pulse on issues that are more prominent in the boardroom. There was a lot of interesting takeaways in the 2022 report, and you mentioned earlier cybersecurity being one of those areas that is emerging. So tell us a little bit more about that report and an overview of the findings or also leaning into maybe what that means that we're hearing more about cybersecurity. Yeah, you know, it's um, cybersecurity is certainly top of mind for directors. Uh, we look at, we ask directors in the report, you know, what is the most challenging um, issue that that you or your board is facing and cybersecurity uh, came out at, you know, number one. So 41% of directors uh, said that that was their most challenging issues. Um, but, you know, second place, and I think this is, again, a COVID-related thing that may we may see come back down to historical levels. Uh, but second place was talent and workforce. So things like hiring, upskilling, safety, diversity uh, were, um, were quite high this year as well as culture. So those are some of the, those are the, the top three. Um, and then boards are always kind of concerned with things like, you know, leadership and um, uh, board composition, um, compliance and regulatory. Um, another one that came up and has inched up every year is um, is climate and environmental risk. So that was up at 18%. So, you know, I think it um, it was a little bit prescient that, um, you know, cybersecurity was, was uh, so high on the list this year. Um, after Russia invaded Ukraine was the first, really it was unprecedented, um, the first uh, time that Homeland Security had ever reached out directly to directors in a letter to directors saying, you know, it is time to make sure your shops are in order. Uh, you need to uh, be, you know, talking to your, uh, the companies that you're on boards on and making sure that um, that people are prepared um, because we view cybersecurity in this, in this current uh, uh, macro a global environment as incredibly, um, is in, in, you know, incredibly important. So that was, um, you know, I think a, as I said, unprecedented. Um, and I think it, it points to the fact that we will continue to see cyber up there, but, um, you know, the, the talent related things, I don't think, uh, you know, the, I do, I do think there was a, a COVID angle to the talent stuff in that, you know, we had the great resignation. Uh, then we had sort of the, you know, the great malaise. Um, and then we had, um, you know, the, now we're having, you know, I guess the great layoffs or something like that. Um, if you're, uh, if you're close to Silicon Valley, like I am. So, um, you know, it's, you know, I think things like real estate and, um, back to work and, uh, workforce policies, um, and access to talent and all of those things have changed. And 
sometimes in a very exciting way, like, you know, you don't have to, folks have learned how to run companies on a more remote, remote basis and can get talent that maybe they couldn't get before because it was in a different country, it was remote, it was uh, somebody not willing to move to a major city, but, you know, was perfectly happy with their life in Iowa or whatever. Now those folks can work for a company if the company can kind of figure out the right, um, you know, path forward from that. So I do think that we'll continue to talk about talent in the boardroom and that it sort of kicked off that um it sort of kicked off that conversation in an interesting way because of COVID, but I don't think it will stop. The other thing that I think a lot of boards are talking about, um, and this, um, you know, I think because some of the um, supply chain issues happened after that report, I would say, um, you know, may reflect more in next year's report. But the, um, you know, I think supply chain became a huge conversation in the boardroom. Um, you know, I think most companies, especially companies that rely, have manufacturing, so they rely on uh, getting materials from somewhere to make something to sell. Um, you know, I, I just don't, yeah, I don't know how you would have ever anticipated some of the crazy that happened in the supply chain area last year between um, you know, COVID shutting down plants um, and, you know, not being able to access stuff from certain parts of the world, um, you know, places on, on curfew and only being able to have one shift where you used to have three shifts. So what does that do to the quantity of goods that you're putting to then, um, you know, a, a ship T-boning itself in the Suez Canal to, um, you know, the issues of not having people to unpack it in Long Beach. And um, it, they just kind of went on and on. So I feel like these chief procurement officers and these supply chain officers have been in the boardroom probably more than they're comfortable with in the last, you know, 18 months. But I, I think, you know, a little bit of that will probably continue. And I think boards are probably looking at how do you balance things like, um, you know, maximum efficiency, which might mean, uh, you know, making one specific thing incredibly well at a low cost location to maximum flexibility, which might mean it costs a little more to have a more flexible uh, manufacturing line, but you can quickly pivot between two different countries if one country has an issue. So I do think that that's um, you know another thing that is going to be top of mind for boards in the coming in the coming years. Over. Our Bard MBA in sustainability grounds itself in building leadership skills for change. So, what would you offer to those starting out in their careers or mid-career switchers? Yeah, I mean, I, I think first of all, you know, congratulations on the program. I think that um, you know the the type of things that uh, that you all are talking about and sort of this. Um, intersection, if you will, between um, some of the areas of business, sustainability, social impact, purpose, um, is is really um, what corporate America is talking about right now. And so I think it's incredibly timely and relevant what, what you all are studying. Um, as we look at, um, at talent, what, um, what the data tell us is that um, you know, a company's ability to attract and retain talent is going to remain, um, you know, incredibly important. Um, obviously, right now we have some macroeconomic things going on around, um, you know, just uh, I think the, the conversation being profitability has come uh, more than ever into the boardroom. And for a public company, you know, profitability is always going to be an issue. But I do think that uh, in this environment, um, you know the the expense line has become uh, as important to boards as the as the revenue line in some ways. But um, you know, I, I think as uh, as you as you pivot into 
um, you know, new opportunities out of uh, an education, either either here or graduating from undergraduate or, uh, you know, a business school program. Um, you know, I think are having having armed yourself with some of these like new type of skills as well as you know just domain expertise is um, it makes for a very um, you know valuable employee. Um, as it relates to directors, um, you know, I, I think it's probably not surprising, you know, given some of the things I said around the human capital management issues and some of the things that may be coming down from the SEC on human capital management. So, um, you know, things, you know, there's there's rumors of, you know, will the SEC have us report on things like attrition and turnover? Um, there's lots of good reasons to do that. There's lots of bad reasons to do that, by the way. Um, so, you know, I think uh, the um, whenever a company is asked to to report on some of these things, you always have to look at the unintended consequences. So let's just take that one for example. If you say, okay, companies need to to report on their attrition numbers uh, and how many people are leaving the company, um, the, the question would be. Does that make companies more reluctant to let go of bad performers because they don't want to, you know, trigger some, uh, you know, some comparison that they don't want to have to deal with on an earnings call or something like that? So, you know, I think they'll have to figure all that stuff out and see what's relevant and what's not relevant as it relates to uh, some of the, the talent reporting. Um, but, uh, but, you know, a lot of the board, you know, a lot of board members do believe that the board should be involved in overseeing talent strategy and overseeing culture. Um, and it is a regular agenda, either in the nominations and governance committee or in the compensation committee. Uh, compensation is often now called compensation and culture. Uh, nom and gov is often called nom and gov and sustainability or, or, um, uh, or, you know, some, some flavor thereof. So I think that, um, you know the, the the boardroom has has changed and evolved in a way that is you know really inclusive of these topics now, um, and it's it's here to stay. Great. Uh, as I close us out today, I do want to ask that you share how listeners that may want to dig a little deeper or follow Diligent Institute's work how they might best do that, and also ask if there's any additional thoughts that you'd like to share with us today. Um, sure. Well, I think to uh, to follow Diligent, um, you can go to diligentinstitute.com. And on that website, we publish a lot of original research. So it is, you'll find this report that we've just talked about. You'll find um, a diversity on boards report that we did with Spencer Stewart earlier this year. Uh, we have ongoing uh, kind of pulse checks with uh, you know, how directors and leadership are thinking, and that could be helpful for, uh, for, you know, people looking at whether you're at an entry level or you're on a board, um, thinking through, uh, you know, just what, what, what are the topics that people are talking about? Um, I tend to, to publish a lot of things on LinkedIn, so you can follow me on LinkedIn. Uh, I think I'm Lisa Edwards SF, but, um, Lisa Edwards Diligent will find me. Um, and then diligent.com also has some insights and, uh, and reporting on our board. Um, and then just in terms of closing out, uh, you know, how to be thinking about this, as I said, I really think that, um, you know, the, the, there's, this is, we are living in a unique time where um, these are important conversations and, and not just boards, but companies are really tying back to purpose. You know, I had the conversation last week um, with a uh, with a board member on multiple Fortune 500 boards, and, uh, and she said to me, um, 
you know, uh, and it was a little bit wistful, to be honest. Uh, she said, you know, when you ask a, when you ask a Gen Xer uh, to jump, they say how high. When you ask a Gen Z to jump, they say why. Um, and, um, you know, but I think, you know, companies and boards are evolving and saying um, we need to tie back to purpose. We need to understand why we're all here and what we're doing and what we're doing it for. Uh, and that's good for us. It's good for our companies. It's good for our employees. And, um, and it's good to attract the best talent um, who's passionate about what they do. So, um, you know, I think it's, um, it's a great conversation to be having. And um, I, I wish all of the, uh, uh, all of the program, uh, the BARD program, uh, the best of luck, because I think it's, uh, it's a great set of skills that you'll be, that you'll be uh, graduating with. Thank you so much, Lisa. Uh, if you have the time, I actually do have one more question. So, Diligent Institute focuses on collaborating and collective action and education for board members. I'm curious how Diligent encourages boards to include a broader stakeholder group, both in their decision-making and knowledge gathering. I think one of the ways that we try to do it is, you know, we don't try to be very prescriptive. We don't say, uh, you know, you should go do this. Um, well, sometimes I do, but um, <laughs> I have editorial license now that I'm with Institute. Um, but I do think that we say, um, look, there is plenty of data. It is mostly correlative data. So it is not a longitudinal study over time uh, that isolates for all, um, you know, all variables. So a, a scientist would have, you know, probably deep problems with it, but there is a lot of correlative data that says more diverse boards and more diverse leadership teams perform better. They move faster, they're more profitable, they're higher growth, you know. And so um, I always like to tell people, um, uh, you know, either do it because it's the right thing to do or do it because the data suggests that it makes you a better company, uh, but you should still do it. Great. Thank you so very much. I really enjoyed everything we spoke about today and I'm excited to enter this space and also hear that it's more and more part of the conversation. Wonderful. Well, great to be here and, uh, and best of luck getting through the rest of the year. We appreciate our Loyal Impact Report listeners and hope you can help us spread the word about the series and the important sustainability work of our guests. Please rate and review the Impact Report wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you were inspired by this conversation, share a screenshot on Instagram and tag Impact Report Podcast. Learn more about the Diligent Institute and the topics discussed in today's episode by visiting diligentinstitute.com. And be sure to head to greenbiz.com or impactentrepreneur.com to read a recap of our conversation. Join us for the next episode of the Impact Report on Friday, February 17th. We'll be speaking with Eben Goodstein, Director of the Bard Graduate Programs in Sustainability. Interested in learning how you can launch a high-impact, purpose-driven career in sustainability? Check out the resources page from the Bard Graduate Programs in Sustainability for access to free resources to jumpstart your career. Hear from leaders in the fields of climate change, consulting, impact finance, 
circular economy, and more about how they launched their careers and the tips they have for you to join their industries. Visit gps.bard.edu resources today.